All right, welcome. This is Orion Rising News. I am your host, Leonard O'Neill. Okay. I'm supposed to be doing uh, Law of One tonight, but decided to not to do that today. I was too busy researching stuff. Um, with all the stuff going on and the riots and, and protests, um, there's a lot that I'm doing behind the scenes and um, trying to um, squelch these riots. So... So a lot of us working on uh, outing those people who are funding uh, and um, sourcing and making these riots happen so that they'll stop. Because it's not the common folk. It's the cabal. It's people behind the scenes that are uh, deep state that are trying to destroy the economy and kill the middle class. We know that. We know that. So we're going after them. Okay, so the topic today is that, all right? Uh, is uh, you know what what they're trying to make into a race issue and a race war, okay? And remember now, I am a minister. I'm a pastor, okay? Uh, my brother's also a minister, and and we talk a lot about this um, because unfortunately, the way things are with the way people are right now, I can't say anything. Because I'm white, that makes me automatically a racist. And look, I'm gray-haired, middle-aged white man. Okay, that means I'm absolutely 100% racist. That's the profile, that's the racism that is systemic in our society. Okay, and I have said there is no systemic racism the way that you hear a lot of people in the uh, African community, African-American community, um, screaming to the nation. When I say that, they just go, racist, that's it, you're a racist, see right there. You don't even know that, you're, that you have it better than all of us, which I've said a bazillion times is an absolute lie, okay? That comes from an ignorant standpoint, someone who is only uh, thinking about their own race, and they don't care to learn about other races because they'd find out that that's just utterly not true. Pardon me, I'll get a drink of my water. <clears throat> No, you have no idea. Ours is the worst. We had it all bad. No, no. Talk to a Native American. I've said this before on my show. You think you had it bad as an African American or you're getting it bad, having it bad now because you're African American? Try and find, first of all, try and find a Native. Okay? Try and find a full-blooded Native and you're not going to. I have Native blood in me. I understand their plight. And I don't have a lot. 5%. That's, that's a lot more than most Native Americans who claim they're Native Americans have. Okay, some like Pocahontas claims she was Native American and she has one 232nd or something like that. I have more, literally more in my pinky finger than she does. Literally, I can claim that because I have some Native American blood, 5%. So talk to them. Look at the Irish people. Look at the Chinese people. If you actually learn the history of all of every race, look at the Jewish people, you would find that there's everything that you're claiming has happened to everybody and is happening in one place or another the same thing so you're not in bed by yourself you're nothing special that pisses you off and i become a racist okay so today just a little while ago an hour ago as a matter of fact um on brett bear um which is a program on fox that i normally don't watch it just happened to be the channel that was on uh from something else and uh, i was watching something dvr and when i turned it on they were talking about the um, you know, the, the riots and, and how they're trying to make it a race war when it's not. It's a class war. I, you know, they keep saying race problem, race this and race that. And I keep looking at the crowds everywhere across the United States and I see the most diverse crowds I've ever seen. 
In fact, I see more white people in the crowds marching than I have in any other time in my lifetime. Okay, maybe in the 60s while I was a little baby or before I was born in the 60s, maybe that was happening, I don't know, during the civil rights movement. But there's a lot of white people out there. There's no, there's no racist problem going on in that crowd. There's not white people beating up black people in that crowd. There's not black people beating up white people in that crowd. None of that's happening. There's no Asians kicking everybody's butt like, like Kung Fu. Okay, all those, all those uh, racist uh, profiles. None of that's happening. Okay, it's not a race war. It's a class war between the rich and the poor. And they're trying to kill the middle class and make them poor too. That you need to get in your head. You need to understand that. It's not you and me against each other. It's us against them. That's where the war is. Okay. However, until some things are fixed, you're absolutely right. There isn't going to be ever any concession in any way. And this gentleman, who I'm going to play for you right here in this little five to seven minute soundbite, but there'll be video for those of you who are watching the vid, you know, the vidcast version of the podcast. Those of you who only have the audio version of the podcast, you won't be able to see this gentleman, but you'll be able to hear him. He said what I, my brother and I say, but we can't say that to the world because we just immediately become a target and become called racist. Okay. This gentleman is African-American. Okay. So when he says it, they're not going to look at him. What are they going to call him? Uncle Tom? That's what they did in the sixties. Anybody that didn't sound black, they called you Uncle Tom which meant collaborator with the white people, trying to act like they're white. This guy is a senior fellow at one of the, um, Stanford, I think, university. Uh, you'll see here in a second. Let me get the screen. I didn't put the right screen. I was clicking over to go to full screen, and I didn't move you guys that you're looking at. Me, I didn't move you over there. So let's go over there. There it is. Okay, so I'm going to go uh, uh, in full screen, and we'll play this segment because he said this, the most, and, he's, and apparently I'm, I've looked him up since and I was watching a video of his. He's given full speeches about this and I'm watching him um, talking about the, the liberalism that, uh, that you know, has, has taken over and why and where it came from and how it's evolved. He doesn't talk about that here, I don't believe, uh, but he might, okay? Uh, so let me go ahead and, and play that for you because it's the really, really well put and he gets, I believe, to the to the center, you know, hits the nail right on the head, gets to the center of, of the issue, of what's at stake and why. All right, so let me go over here and go into full screen here so we can play this video. All right, here we go. Let's talk now in depth about race relations in America. After what we've seen, Shelby Steele is a senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Uh, Shelby, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Want to get your 30,000... Sorry, I'm trying to get out of the full screen here for a second because I want to turn the sound up on this. Just because it was just a little too low. All right, here we go. Sorry. Here we go. Thousand foot view of what we've seen over the past few days and your, your reaction to it. Well, boy, it's um, in many ways, it's, it's something of a carnival. Uh, there's there. There is, I think, a lot less happening than seems to. Uh, it's very dramatic on the surface, and and it looks like you know, sort of classics, reminiscent of the civil rights movement, and 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 so forth. But actually, it seems to me there's not much happening here at all. It's a kind of uh, repeat of what we've seen for 
throughout my lifetime. Uh, and so I, I think there's something, um, there's a pathos here. It's like we've, we've done this too many times. We've, we've been here too many times. We've seen this kind of thing. And there's a big hullabaloo, and then it sort of fades away. And this is already beginning, I think, to fade. Uh, what was it all about? What, what was the point? What did uh, these various groups, uh, what did they want? They, uh, striking to me about this particular one is that there was not even a list of demands. Usually there's always a long, elaborate list of demands. That wasn't the case here. There's nothing that you can come away from this entire episode, the last two weeks or so, uh, that, uh, that's meaningful. We, 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 people are talking about police reform. Well, I'm all for police reform. I think most people want to see the best policing we, we can possibly get. But this, this wasn't called, police reform didn't, didn't trigger this. Uh, this, is, this is something else. It seems to me there's a generation here that doesn't quite know where to go, doesn't know what to, we were looking at racial tensions and uh, problems in the black community, and there's no longer any sort of idea what we ought to be doing to work on those things, to fix them. Well, here is uh, Reverend Al Sharpton at the uh, memorial service for George Floyd in Minneapolis. Take a listen to this. George Floyd's story has been the story of black folks because ever since 401 years ago, the reason we could never be who we wanted and dreamed to be in is you kept your knee on our neck. Went on to say essentially that this is the moment and repeated the uh, systemic racism in this country. Your response to that? My response to that is that Al Sharpton is a master of this old form of, of politics that comes out of the 60s where we as blacks cry victimization and demand the larger society give us things of some kind or another. Uh, I will take Al Sharpton seriously, and I know him, he's a nice, nice person. Uh, I will take his message here seriously when he stands before a congregation like that, of black uh, people in America, over a tragic event, and says what black Americans can do to get out of the situation that we're in. No one, from the president on down anywhere, says, what role? What's going wrong with black America? Why are they so dependent on white America, on, on the government, that all they can think of is themselves as victims? Which then, of course, deflates them as human beings, uh, undermines their, their, their best energies, their best intentions, and keeps, and so after 50, 60 years now, past the Civil Rights Bill, we're worse off in many socioeconomic categories than we were 60 years ago, back then. I don't blame that entirely, and I understand why it happened, and the kind of liberalism that came in and, and really took over our fate, took it away from us. White America in many ways did that, and, and they needed it for their own reasons. White Americans live under this accusation that they're racist. They need to prove that they're not racist. In order to prove that you're not racist, you need to take over the fate of black people and say, go with us, we'll engineer you into the future. We'll engineer you into equality. 
Life doesn't work like that. We have to engineer ourselves, period. There is no other way. It, it, unless you can rewrite the rules of the human condition, there is no circumstance in history where people can, no matter, no matter how much guilt they have over, over uh, the, the oppressive majority, there's no, there's no indica indication anywhere uh, that you can somehow get them to lift, your, lift you up and get you out of your, the condition that you're in. It's not a possibility. So Sharpton You said is, there's not is, a list of things. Is, I, there, I, I is, there is a... Uh, go ahead. You said there's not a list of things. There is the... Uh, there is everything from defund the police, we've seen, uh, to retribution, essentially, uh, monetary payments uh, to level the playing field. Um, is there a solution out I, there I, that I, politically can get you can get your head around? I will take that those uh, things seriously. When I also hear from Sharpton and others, the argument that we need within the black community to work on the institution of marriage, our families have fallen to pieces. Seventy-five percent of all black children are born out of wedlock without a father. I don't care how many social programs you have, you're not going to overcome that. That's where we need to put our, that's what the message it seems to me of this tragedy is, is that we as black Americans have to begin to take our fate back into our own hands and, and move it, to stop crying racism. There's a little racism out here, always was and always will be. Why, does, why is that an argument to stop, to not move forward? to not be responsible for your own fate. Um, well, again, it's that, it's that we live in a wealthy, liberal, bend over backwards, deferential nation has, has hurt us in terms of moving out of the 400 years of oppression that we were subjected to. And we're, go we're never gonna get out of it. And you can, you can again, to have the police go to as many sensitivity training <laughs> classes as, as you want. Uh, it's, it's not going to read a story to a child at night before he goes to sleep so he's developing his mind and is getting ready to go to school and be serious about the, the academic and, uh, and educational development. And so he can someday compete in the most advanced society in the modern world where one has to be. Yeah really trained and developed in order to be successful. Uh, when I see that well, focus, uh, <laughs> I feel a lot better. Well, we've had a number of different voices all throughout these days, and we appreciate yours. Shelby Steele, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Okay. <coughs> well, let's talk so, now in depth oh, about I race relations in I apologize. What we've that started again. <laughs> As a busy mom. Sorry about that. That started over, so I had to delete, had to close that. So there's my point, okay? And I agree with what that gentleman said completely, okay? And, and, and I don't, not to sound like a racist again, but here's some, um, some versions that show that. I'm, I'm predominantly Irish, but mostly, you know, European, Southern Viking. The Irish people... If you don't know the history, 
the Irish people had the same thing happen to them when they came here to America. It was happening before we came here. That's why a lot of us came to America, because we came here for the same reason that the Mexicans come here. Better money, better jobs, better opportunities. We can send money back home to our poor families. And when we got here, it was the same thing. They wouldn't give us any jobs. They wouldn't give us any housing. They wouldn't give us any food. They wouldn't give us anything. They'd let us starve and die on the streets, okay? When we were in Ireland, we were the same way. We were complacent and we were the victim. You owe us. And, and we realized pretty quickly that wasn't helping. <clears throat> it wasn't helping. It wasn't giving us anything. So when we came to America, we, this was supposed to be a new country with new values. And the, the people that were here, the Italians and the English that owned this place, when the Irish got here, whether you came in legally or not, if you came in here illegally, you could end up on the streets and not get rounded up. But if you came here legally, when you got off the boat, they made you go and join the military. So the, so the, the better part of that was that the majority of the Irish that got here immediately got military training. And then combat weathering, uh, by, literally out on the plains, fighting either the Spanish-American War or fighting the, the, uh, the Indians out on the plains, Native Americans. So by the time they became free, which was five years after they got here, they were hardened, seasoned veterans used to solving problems and fighting a war. So it didn't take long for them to organize themselves and, and act like they were, did when they were a unit what, and solve the problem. What do we need to do here to solve this problem? And because all of them had killed and were uh, great, efficient warriors, soldiers, it didn't mean anything to them if they went to war. They've been doing it for five years against these people or for these people. What's the difference between if we do it now? So they weren't above knocking your head off, killing you. They, what, what's going to happen? Right? What's going to happen? The same thing that happened before. I'm, I was already doing this for you guys for five years, and this is the thanks I get. So when they got out, they unioned up. They joined. They made the unions, created the unions, took the crappiest jobs that nobody wanted, the rich didn't want. They didn't want to take the garbage out. They didn't want to cook. They didn't want to clean. They didn't want to do any of that stuff. They didn't want to drive taxis. Those were for slaves. You don't want, they don't want to be the policemen. They don't want to be firemen. Those are jobs beneath the rich aristocrats. So the Irish and the Scottish and the, and the rest of the Europe uh, took those jobs and turned them into the most meaningful jobs to this day. And that's why when a policeman or a fireman uh, has uh, someone dies, they will dress in kilts and, and play the bagpipes. Because traditionally, they were all Irish, Scottish, uh, Norwegian. That's no joke. Back East, it's kind of still that way. It's a tradition. We always laugh, and if you're an American and you're Irish-American, that your family, you're, you're either a priest, a criminal, a fireman, or a police officer, or a garbage guy. Because those, those three all go to the working class, right? Otherwise, you're, you're a criminal, or you know, a gangster, or a, a priest. Or you're one of those three jobs. And that was basically the way the Irish were. That's uh, the Irish and the Scottish, traditionally to this day. So... We took the shitty jobs, realized those were logistical jobs that we could utilize to gain power. How? Well, if I don't pick up all the rich people's garbage, it's going to pile up. Who do they call? Cops. That's my brother, Clancy, and my cousin, right? So then if we went to work in their factories and we decided we wanted more money and we went on strike, who'd they call? The police who refused to show up. So they had to hire their own guns to come out and do and shoot at us. Then we would call the police who are our brothers and cousins, and then they would show up, okay? So then we'd set fire to the factory. They'd call the fire department. The fire department would watch it burn. Then they would get mad and call the police on the fire department. They'd come out, and they'd all stand around smoking, laughing, cooking hot dogs. 
Okay. So as soon as they unioned up, then the, the things had to change because they had power. Okay. And then they took, they took all the jobs, like the coal miners were all Irish, Scottish, Norwegian, you know, Swedish, you know, all of Europe and Ireland, except for the Italians and the, and the English, who were the rich aristocrats who owned everything. And then Germans when, you know, when they got here. So that's how we turn things around. Now, if you look at the Mexicans, they kind of started trying to go down that road for a minute, but then they decided that's not getting me anywhere. I'm going to go to America and I'm going to work under the table. I'm going to do the jobs that those fat, lazy Americans want, don't want to do, which is way better than the job I'd have to do down here in Mexico. And I'm going to get paid 10 American dollars an hour minimum to do it. Cash. If an American's getting paid $10 an hour, he's got 25% of that coming out in taxes for one tax or another. So you're only going to take home, you know, what, $11 an hour. I'm taking, or from $10 an hour, you're taking home $7.50 if you're lucky, $7 an hour. Okay, I'm taking home $10 an hour of cash every day, 80 bucks to 100 bucks cash every single day in my hand. That adds up quickly at any time between 1987 and now. Some guys get paid more. It depends on what your skill set is, what you do. So they would have cash. And then because of the way things are here, you come here, you knock up a, a, a woman. And as soon as she's pregnant, she has an anchor baby. She gets to stay. You, whether you get deported or not, you just keep coming back and forth. Okay. And she reports that she's living by herself and that you're in Mexico, whether you are or not. That's what they do. And she gets all the stuff, all the, all the money for, for, you know, welfare, WIC, all that stuff. So she has food stamps, the whole nines, you know, the credit for the food, the whole nines. And then you have all the cash. And then they put, you know, like seven, eight families in one house. Right. And guess what? They're, they're all paying like $20 a month rent. <laughs> right? That's smart. That's smart. We did the same thing. That's smart of them to do that. But they still look at me like I'm the problem because I'm white. I'm the one who has caused all this. I didn't cause this. My people were Irish. We got here after that shit happened. We came here to California after it was already uh, taken over by the white people. I've proven that. My nephew goes to a school that's predominantly black, and they were all telling him that he was racist uh, because uh, he was white, and the whole society is systemically racist. They don't even know what that word means, but they throw it out there because they heard it. $20 word systemic and they can't say ask a question properly uh, systemic I'm going to use the word systemic and go ask a question see my point okay it's hard to take you serious when you're when you're saying I'm going to ask you let me ask you something just like when Al Sharpton started talking he was talking perfect English and then he says let me ask you a question and I was like did you really just do that did you really there's no need for that I don't I don't do stupid things like that right I can throw out Irish afflictions too if I'm trying to to drum up the base for Irish people. So they told, you know, they told him that. So he said to, uh, you know, dad, we're racist. Did you know that? No, we're not. Well, we own slaves. No, we did not. I have all that proof of where and when our families on both sides came to America and where they came uh, into America and how they got to where they are today. I looked all that up because if I wanted to move to Ireland, you have to prove that you have that you literally can trace your family genes back to Ireland. Otherwise, the Irish don't want Americans moving in because we always fuck things up when we show up. We show up and we embolden the societies. We we get snooty. We we don't take shit from people. Someone slaps a tax on us. We throw a revolution down their ass. They're just like they're fucking too rowdy. They come in here and they just start wanting to talk about capitalism and ripping people off and the whole nines and everybody has to have rights and oh Jesus, we don't want any Americans here. 
Australia is the same way. You can't come in there unless you can prove that you have enough money to contribute to their society in a positive way. Otherwise, they don't want any Americans down there. <laughs> Americans are trouble. We're the ghetto of the, of the world. We're the troublemakers. So other races have, have, have stood up. Look what the, the, um, you know, what the Jews did in, in, uh, when they were in Africa. I mean, that's a whole biblical thing, so we don't know if that really happened. But, it, you know, something did happen, and they stood up, and they stood for themselves. When, when people do that, that's when you start seeing yourself as having worth. That's my point. You even had, you know, I am Spartacus. The, the slaves decided we're not going to continue to be slaves. We're going to rise up, and we, we have worth. We're not victims. We're survivors. Okay? And they so, so the African-American people as a whole need to stop seeing themselves as victims and see themselves as survivors because they weren't victimized. I'm not victimized. You, the only way that we're victimized is that you have to sell me on the fact that there's systemic racism in this society, but you never point out where it is. It's there. You know it's there. You know it's there. And if you don't, you're stupid. You're racist. But yet they don't point it out. They don't show you. They start blurting out talking points, but they don't give you actual facts. Police brutality, but they don't want to hear the fact when they say more, more black kids get shot by white cops than anything else. That's not true. The actual fact, if you look it up, is that white people get killed more. Oh, yes, but you guys outnumber us like 100 to 1. So the percentage is, well, the percentage is that black people get killed by black people more than by any other race. That's the truth. That's not me being racist. That's the truth. The number one killer of a black man is a black man. That is the truth. Not a black cop, a black man. Okay? So police kill less black men than other black men kill black men. So, but you have to admit that to yourself. You have to look that up and you have to hear it. If you don't want to hear that, then you're racist. You don't want to listen to that, then you're racist. You're part of the problem. You are the problem. If you consider yourself a victim and not a survivor, when nothing did was done to you, unless you say, well, no, because it's inherent, see? It's so deeply embedded in everything that happens, you get everything and we get nothing. Really? I had to put duct tape on my shoes because they fell apart on me when I was a kid more than once because we didn't have the money for me to buy shoes. I walked my shoes until I walked a hole in the bottom of the shoes, then I would walk a hole in my sock every day. So I had to start putting duct tape over that every day. That is not a lie, okay? Because we didn't have the money for me to buy shoes. My grandmother made the pants that my brother and I wore and the shirts that my brother and I wore and the dresses that my sisters wore, okay? Because we didn't have the money to buy them off the shelf. When Halloween came around, we made our own costumes because we didn't have money to buy costumes. When Christmas came around, we either didn't get a tree or my dad would go and snatch one up or buy one for half off at New Year's Eve and we decorated it. Or he'd steal one. And then we would make our own decorations to go on the tree by cutting newspaper and literally threading popcorn. Because we didn't have the money to buy store-bought things to put on our tree. Okay? We, put, we had clothing uh, patches that we stitched our clothes. We, start, we darned our socks and we put patches over the holes in our pants and shirts. We were the patch-looking bums that you saw on the street because we didn't have the money. Where was, where was the racism that gave me the thumbs up, the, the, gold, the, the, the silver spoon in my mouth over all the black people? We didn't have a television. We didn't have cable. 
In fact, I said this on my other show. I didn't have cable until I paid for my own first cable when I was on my own at 20 years old. Before that, we had rabbit ears for everything with an old antenna. Okay? There's your systemic racism. And I'll tell you that I know more people that live just like that than not. And more people that were white that lived just like that. I didn't live in a trailer park, but it was close enough, right? I probably should have. Well, I did at one point because my grandmother lived in a, in a trailer park. And I, I lived at her house for a few years while she was dying of cancer. And I took care of her for a couple of years. Okay. So, we, so I was officially white trailer trash at that point. So I don't buy your crap. I haven't lived in the same house my entire life since I was 11 more than four and a half years and I'm 52 okay I've moved around and moved around and moved around and moved around this is the truth you can ask anybody who knows me so I don't buy your crap of uh, I got it better than you because I'm white because I don't and there are millions and millions and millions of other people besides black people who have it just as shitty if not shittier than you do you guys out there I watched all these people my whole life talking about how, how poor they were and how they got nothing and all white people had shit. Meanwhile, they were walking around wearing a $250 pair of shoes with a cell phone that at the time cost $150, which is about a $1,000 cell phone today, wearing big parkas that cost $800, and everybody had football jerseys that were $200 football jerseys, and, and I was wearing blue jeans that I had to stitch up. I still stitch my own clothes up because that's the way I, I was brought up. To keep your clothes and only, you know, I bought this shirt, I bought like four shirts in the last four years. Everything else I sew up. Because that's how poor I was growing up that I got used to doing that. Okay, so I'm watching kids that are talking about that racism and how white people are racist. And I'm, and I'm seeing them walking around with $5,000 worth of clothing on. Gold chains, all this stuff. I'm like, motherfucker, where'd you get that car? Right, and then they got nice-looking cars, and you know, with all this electronics, and they're binty, binty, binty. Where'd you get the money for that? Are you dealing drugs? Because you're claiming that you got nothing, and white people have everything, and I see you with everything, and I'm looking around at white people who are borrowing money to get a 25-cent fucking candy bar. Okay, so I don't, I don't buy your bullshit. I don't. I hate to talk like that, but I don't buy your guys' um, systemic racism crap at all. And you buy it because you keep telling yourselves that, that you're, that you're the victim. And you, and you have to be the victim or your, or your whole thing doesn't work. So you have to try and convince people. I've had people try to convince me my whole life that, that there's systemic racism. And I'm so, I'm so, I, I'm so gifted that I don't even know I'm, I, am, I, I fucking am entitled. And I'm like, where's the entitlement? I don't see it. I see, I see poor people are poor people. Okay? And there, there is no... No, there is no uh, one race is favored over another. It's not. It's not. Are the rich and the elite predominantly white? Probably. They don't. T- they don't look at all white people and say this. That you. Well, you're the chosen race. They don't do that. You guys think they do that because you want to. You believe that. That's the way. The only way your little system works is that you believe you're the victim and that it's everyone else's fault. It's not yours. You haven't done anything wrong. You've been wronged from before you were born and you're going to be wronged your entire life and you're being with like Al Sharpton said my knee somehow's on your throat no the knee that's on your throat look up it's another black man or it's yourself you have to fix you stand up and say I am not a victim I am a survivor I'm a survivor of a slave race that was freed and now I am free 
and I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to get that education. And like he said, and this is Christian values once again, like, he, like, like Steele said, Mr. Steele said at the end of his, his statement there, that the problem is a lot, the systemic issue is the, the family unit or the lack thereof in the African-American uh, uh, people in the United States. 75%, these are his numbers, don't call me racist. 75% of all black children are born without a father, out of wedlock without a father, okay? And that, and that person is not around. So you don't have a family structure of, of any kind. Now, I came from a broken home. We did have a family structure when I was little, but at the age of 11, my mother left my father, okay? And then she abandoned uh, my brother and my sister and myself shortly thereafter while she was shacking up with the guy that she eventually married some 15 or 20 years later or whatever, 10 years later, whatever it was, okay? And now he's deceased, and I'm taking care of my mother. But they would show up once every couple of weeks and bring groceries for us and make sure that the bills were paid, and then they would take off, and we raised ourselves through our teenage years. We had to get ourselves up, cleaned up, go to school, come home, do our homework, do the whole nines. And we were preteens and teens, Okay? Did we mess up? Yeah. But we still had the wherewithal to try and, and do something about our education. Right? I mean, I dropped out and didn't get my diploma. And then I went and got my GED instead and started going to college. But then you have to go to junior college. My brother got his diploma and he's since got his bachelor's degree, or I think. Um, he did that by the time he was like 22, if that, maybe younger. So we educated ourselves. My sister didn't. She ended up being a waitress, right? And she still works at a, you know, a head shop, a convenience store, selling cigarettes and, and that kind of crap, right? I'm semi-retired. My brother's uh, still working and has a great career. But I say I'm semi-retired. I'm actually retired. I say I'm semi-retired because I don't want to be retired. <laughs> so... So the point is, we scratched out an existence out of nothing. I've been homeless. I was homeless and decided I could sit down and be the victim or I could freaking move and do something. And I did something and I scratched out of the hole of homelessness and drug addiction and became something. Not because I had a hand up. And you don't have any idea what it's like to be in the system and be white. They look at you like, what is your problem? I was denied everything. I tried to get unemployment, and I was denied by this woman who was African-American who hated white people, and I could see it in her face. And she was just like, oh, you hell no, I'm not giving you. She would not give me my own unemployment. Would not give me my own unemployment. Okay? So I've gone through racism, and I knew when I was looking at her that she, the look in her face was she was angry with me and, and enjoying the fact that she was in control of whether or not I got paid and said no. Denied. Okay? So I understand what racism is. I get it. I see it. But it wasn't the white person. Oh, I also was prejudiced where I had white people looking at me like, what is your problem? You're white. But you, why are you here? You're, that means you're a bum or a drug addict. Go somewhere else to get money. Go to a different county. I was told that. Okay? So I realized that it wasn't going to work if I was going to sit down and wait on a system because the system doesn't help white people when, when, when the system would love to put you on there if you're every other race. But if you're white, they don't want to put you on that because you're an idiot. That's the way they look at you. You're worse. 
So I was being treated like the Irish were being treated. I, was, I wasn't as worth any money for them in any way than the funding they get to be proactive and have people from other races on their, on their docket. So I was, I had systemic racism, yeah, and every single time it was systemic racism, it was from other races being prejudiced against me because I was white. So I don't buy that, guys. I don't buy it. Because I decided that I wasn't going to let that keep me down. I was going to take my life into my own hands, and I was going to make something of myself, and I did. Okay? That's what everybody needs to do, but when I say it, I sound racist, and people say I'm racist for saying it. There you have Professor Steele saying it, and I think he's right. I agree with him, and I think that that... There's a, there is a lot of other things that still need to be handled because, yes, there's a lot of racism. There's, there's less racism now than there ever has been, in my opinion. You guys all say, oh, it's worse. It's not worse. It's not worse. People aren't getting hung. You know, people are getting killed by one or two bad cops. Well, one, the other two apparently had just been on the job, so I don't know how that, how that works. One guy was on his first shift, for crying out loud, and the other guy was on his third one. First day on the job, and he got caught up in that caper. You know, it was like training day. I mean, it was literally training day, but it was like the movie training day. The guy who was training him was the criminal. And he murdered a guy right in front of him. What do you do, right? So I think that uh, that kind of reform needs to be fixed uh, here in America where there's now uh, cities where they're saying that if you see something like that happening, that you're required to intervene uh, if they won't stop on their own, uh, which I think should be uh, the case. Um, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm annoyed with uh, the people, and I don't remember what city it was, where they um, pushed down a 75-year-old man and, and he fell and cracked his skull and was unconscious bleeding on the sidewalk. Um, I don't think you needed to shove somebody that hard. Uh, and then when the two men who shoved him, then he fell down, got suspended, the rest of the people on that squad resigned from that squad in solidarity with those two guys. There's the problem. There's your systemic racism. That was a white man they pressed down, they pushed down. But there is that, well, it's the thin blue line. They didn't do anything wrong. Yes, they did. There was no reason for them to shove a 75-year-old man that hard. I saw the video. And anyone who sees the video knows that, they, that a 75-year-old man, that's like my mom. I wouldn't push my mom half as hard as they did. My mother is 76 today. Happy birthday, mom. She's 76 today. And if I were to shove her half that hard, she'd fall down and break a hip. She's 76, one year older than when that man was. Or is, because he's, he's in serious condition. He's still alive. Okay, but the point here is they didn't have to do that. They could have said, come on, Grandpa. And if you would have started salute, swinging on him, that's different. But you don't, still, you don't beat up an old white man or an old person, period, to, you know, when you're a cop in your 20s or 30s. You don't have to beat them up, man. You're 10 times stronger than they are, 100 times more fit than they are. You can probably pick them up, set them down, and hold them without them being able to hit you at all. And then just put the cuffs on them without having to treat them like you would somebody you're, you know, it's your same age, where you'd have to tackle them and wrestle them to the ground because you're going to have a fight on your hands. It's the difference. People should know that. Now, what was that 75-year-old dude doing on the steps in the middle of a protest? His bad. Okay? If you're that old, don't go up to the front and piss the cops off. All right? That, that's common knowledge, too. So there's, so the stupid, you know, uh, decisions that people make create a scenario where the police are trying to keep the peace and end up getting themselves into trouble. Because how do you handle that? You got to handle everybody differently with kid gloves. So now there's going to be a list where they have, if it's a 17 year old female who's blonde and it's on a Thursday night, then you have to know that she might be on her period and she might be a little bitchier than normal or drunk. And then if that's the case, and they got to check down a list of, 
If it's a Jewish male with long Jewish hair, he might be a Hasidic Jew. It's offensive to them if, unless it's after 2 p.m., okay. Uh, but let me see. Hold on. No, he has shorter hair. You know what I mean? You, you can't have that because then there's, what, how far the lists go and what happens. You know what I'm saying? I understand the plight. Those are some of the problems that are systemic in our society. Racism is not one of them. Racism is in our society, but it's not systemic. Look that word up, please. Look that word up. All right, that's my rant that went on far longer than I wanted. I almost did an hour on that. But I wanted to play you, Mr. Steele, Professor Steele, because he says what I think is correct. I think the biggest problem is that we need to work together to make everyone understand that we're survivors. I was not here during racist or during the slave trade. My my actual families were not here yet either, okay? And when we came to America, we were in states that didn't have slaves at that time, okay? And then we ended up out in California, which didn't have slaves when we were out here, okay? So we were not part of that. We came from a place where we were the slaves. Why would we immediately buy slaves and have slaves, okay? It's not what happened. But that's, I, I'm not, I can't speak for everybody. I can't say that all white people are that way. But, you know, you can't say... A, all white people are prejudiced or are, are racist. That's the same thing as saying, well, all black people are, ra are racist. Black people can't be racist. Well, yes, they can. And yes, they are. Pure and simple. Just like some white people are racist. Absolutely. What is the percentage these days? I'll bet it's a lot less than it was. There was a time when there was 2 million or 5 million KKK members in the United States. There's like 200,000 today. Do you understand? They were all prejudiced back then. There's less, far less. All right, that's my ranting for today. Namaste. I hope that you guys could pass this on. Maybe it'll help you to think. I'd rather hear people come out and say, speakers, I can't do it because I'm white. Immediately I'll get shouted down in death threats as a racist. But I'd love to see some African-American leadership step up and say what, what Mr. Steele said today, that we're not victims. We're survivors and we need to, here's the things we need to do to move forward, to become healthy. And I think these are the things that maybe white people need to do to assist in that. Let's talk about it. All right, guys.